Hi, I'm Sean. And I'm Helly, and welcome to Growth in Progress, the podcast where we have open and honest conversations about things that aren't usually discussed, but that can help us all to grow. In each episode, we spend some time catching up, then we share something we've loved recently, and then we go on to discuss something that's really relevant to the things that are going on right now, and we feel a lot of people are probably thinking about, but maybe aren't having conversations about. We want to open up that conversation. We want to hear what you have to say too, so please get in touch. All of the contact details are down in our show notes, you can just hit read more on whatever platform you're listening on and contact us via email or Instagram. So the big wedding has happened. I don't know about you, but I feel like the most exhausted human being. God only knows how the bride and groom feel. I was going to say, I do not know how, I think it feels pretty telling that I've not actually heard from them today, but I am absolutely exhausted. So they must be on a whole other level. I slept for like nearly 10 hours last night, which is basically unheard of for me. I slept for three hours yesterday afternoon when we got in. Then I slept for about eight hours last night. And then I had another two and a half hour nap this afternoon. So. (laughs) Which all just takes me exactly back to how did we used to do this all the time at uni. But. I think it's different though, because it's that the emotion as well, like the adrenaline and the emotion from the day. Like anyone who's been part of a bridal party will know the day is long. Our day started at 6.30 and it went through to like, I mean, we were still up at 2am the following day definitely yeah yeah I know that's true it was a long day and there was uh more than a few tears so yeah the emotional side as well good tears oh yeah absolutely good tears but in the best way possible it was such an incredible day and I'm like I just feel so grateful and so appreciative that we were able to all be there and be a part of it I know I know and just to like, I love a wedding because I just love seeing people happy. Yeah. And to see Becky and James so happy and, oh, it was just wonderful. Yeah, it was. My cup was full. And also, the weather turned out incredible. After saying it was going to be rainy the whole weekend, it was glorious sunshine. There was no rain. Oh, it was Oh, it was a beautiful a day. Like, it was the perfect temperature because no one needed a jacket on. But it wasn't so warm that you felt sweaty or clammy or anything like that. Oh, it was the bird. The bird nest is back, by the way. Sorry, I can hear it. And it's, I mean, it's contributing to the the ambiance of this conversation beautifully. But they they are back and they're very chatty this afternoon. So apologies for anyone who isn't a fan of the birds. But tough. (laughs) Talking of birds, do you want to tell everyone what happened on our drive to the venue on Saturday morning? I was really intrigued where that tangent was going, but yes. Oh, so we we drove from Becky's to the venue and her and her sister were in one car and then us two and one of our other friends in another car. And we were driving along having a really deep, lovely conversation about the importance of like supportive friendships, especially for women and how grateful we all are. And then what happened, Hells? Well, you know when a bird flies in front of the car and it like makes you jump and it just misses the car and this pigeon flew in front and it just missed and I was like oh oh thank god and then a second pigeon just flew straight into the windshield right (laughs) I was driving right onto the driver's side of the car as I'm trying to pull onto a roundabout as well so oh oh my god literally full-on panic we all just we all just panicked it kind of hit and then it just we have no idea what happened we didn't see it on the ground so we think it flew off but then we'd lost the bride and maid of honor because they had gone off at a different junction so we were then like we're gonna have to text them because they're gonna be worried if suddenly we're not behind them so you sent a text like 
really sorry. I think you've lost us. Um, we hit a pigeon. <laughs> I, I will say, thankfully, I was slowing down to approach the roundabout. So there was no like big plume of like feathers. And I think the pigeon flew off. So it was fine. But uh... I think it did. Although, plot twist to this story. Last night, Asia texted me. And when she got in, she found a dead pigeon in her garden. Okay, we weren't close to Asia's, so it can't be my pigeon. Exactly, exactly. I was like, I don't think it's the same pigeon. Like, that's quite a long way to fly with like any injuries, <laughs> but it really did make me laugh. She was like, I think the universe is trying to tell me something. <laughs> oh my God. But I, I mean, <laughs> thankfully that was like the only drama of the day. And if that's all that can, I won't even say go wrong. If it was the only slight twist on the day, on a wedding day, then uh, that's all we can hope for really. Oh, completely. I mean, there was almost a point where I set fire to my dress, but it's fine. When was that? I, you know, when we were standing by the photo booth and oh, I was talking yes. to Alex. Yeah. And then he went, what's that smell? And I was like, I don't know. And I I was so cold. All of a sudden I was standing right next to one of these like big, I think not, it's like just a regular radiator booth. You know, the ones that are like get really hot because they're venue radiators. And then you came over and were like, what is that smell? And Alex like, oh, Charlotte singed her dress. <laughs> is there a mark? That you can't really see it. Like, it looks just like it's, um, like, the very, very bottom is, like, just a bit of a slightly different colour. It looks like there's an extra bit of fabric there or something. Like, you'd never know. I mean, it was after the, after the ceremony, all good. Exactly. It was in the evening. No harm done, really. It just smelled really bad. But we did get to... Uh... There was a lot of dancing, which I loved. Who knew Taylor was such a dancer? I mean, me. <laughs> it was excellent. Which I love because oh. I do I do like to have a good dance, especially when there's all like the uh like the eighties and nineties classics, all of our like uni songs, yeah. all the nostalgia songs, and I want people to dance. And then I mean he's always there, regardless of where we are. He's always up for a dance, which is uh I enjoyed the I enjoyed the big group Macarena. Oh yeah, that was great. That was yeah. loved that. You need a Macarena. There is a picture of me very into it on that app, that like ten photo app. Oh well, that, which... that that's the perfect segue to my recommendation of the week because spoiler, I'm nicking it from. Oh, I, I was actually about <laughs> to say we should recommend this, so yeah, take it away. <laughs> okay, so part of what Becky and James did is downloaded the app called POV like point of view and so they paid for it but if you're not wanting like loads and loads of people to access it it's free and essentially it's a disposable camera but on your phone so you set it up so everyone has a limited number of shots they can take um and you can't like you get no like um you get a preview of the photo like when you're about to take it but you don't get um you don't get to see what it looks like once it's been taken until a set time and date. So they had set it so that midday, the day after the wedding, all of the photos got released. And it puts it into an album on the app um, that lets you like see everyone else's photos as well. So you get photos of different people's points of view throughout the day. There is an excellent set where it's, there's a photo I took of me and the groom and then Taylor took a photo of me and the groom taking the photo. And someone else on the other side of the room had taken a photo of Taylor taking a photo of me and the groom. Inception. Which it just sums up the entire thing so well. Um, 
So they set it up. I think they had like 50 people in it. And Becky said it cost like 10 quid to do or something like it was really affordable. And then to go yesterday at the brewery. So we went to like the, um, so say the West Berkshire Brewery. It's not what it's called anymore. What's it called? Uh, Renegade. Renegade. Yeah. Yeah. We went, have you had your beer, by the way, yet? This is a total tangent. We both bought a um, cobbler, a peach cobbler sour yesterday. Oh, God, no. I'm on a bit of an alcohol detox for a couple of days. <laughs> <laughs> I might have mine tonight. Um, anyway, when we were all sitting there at the brewery yesterday, all of a sudden we realised we could see the photos and it was so much fun. There were so many. that like They're my favourite photos from the day. And I think they had, so everyone who attended could do it because you can print a QR code. They put it on their, not an order of service. What's it called? I always call it an order of service, but like their little like sheet of information with like, about the day. It was on our chairs for the ceremony, but it wasn't like in a church. So it yeah. wasn't an order of service. But um, And then you can scan the QR code, download it. You can take the photos. Um it's just such a brilliant thing to do. And it's so much more affordable than disposable cameras. And you don't have that thing where you go, oh God, I've got to go get that film developed because it's expensive to get a film developed. And it's the sort of thing I would always forget to do. Mm-hmm. And also everyone who has access to it as well can download any of the pictures that they want to afterwards, like once they're all released as well. Um, It's just, it's just brilliant. And you can see who took, each photo as well so you can actually like see like oh that's the point of view that Helly had for the day um but it's just yeah it's just such a fun app I've now created an album for a holiday in a couple of weeks so me and Alex can use it for that yeah I just I think it's such a good idea because we're in that era where we've got a smartphone so we take 20 photos of the like the exact same thing and we'll pick our favorite one later which is just ridiculous why do we do that but then if you've got this app, it's exactly the same as if you had a disposable camera. You've only got a set number of shots. So you take one, you don't know what it looks like, and you get the the surprise and enjoyment of looking back over them later. I realised that my um, my it's not that I take 20 or 30 photos of the same thing, but I'll take photos of stuff that I really don't need to take photos of. Like I'll go away somewhere and take like three or four photos of the hotel room we're staying in I can assure you I have never once in my life looked back at a hotel room photo and gone I'm so pleased I have this I'm really pleased to have a picture of this made bed like I'm not printing that out and putting in a bloody photo album and because these are like limited time shots you're a bit more like I don't want to say cautious but I don't know you're just a bit more mindful of what you're taking the photo of yeah you wait for the moment and you're like yes I'm going to use it for this yeah 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 so that is my recommendation. What is yours, my dear? Mine is one that we were also discussing at the weekend um, because I finished Carrie Soto is Back by Taylor yes. Jenkins Reid this week, which is her, it's her most recent one, isn't it? Yes, yes, it is. Yeah, it wasn't really very long ago. And it is just, I mean, I feel like this podcast has become like the Taylor Jenkins Reid fan, fan club podcast because we basically yes. recommend it every book that she writes but <laughs> I just think it's absolutely brilliant and I know we often say it takes us like a little while to get into her books and this one I got into really really quickly I read it in a couple of days and it follows world record holding female tennis player Carrie Soto who if you read Malibu Rising she is a character in mm-hmm. that so again like the the world's overlap in her books um and I will say I love tennis and there are obviously quite a few references to tennis like terminology and stuff, but you absolutely do not need to know tennis to appreciate 
the storyline and just the themes. I just loved the themes in this book, like the double standards and hypocrisy of female sports players and how they're represented in the media. I think the book was influenced a certain amount, at least by Serena Williams and obviously the way that she has been treated in the media versus how male players are treated in the media. And it looks at not only like sexism and racism in sport generally, but also like the characterization of women who are ambitious and powerful as unlikable and unfeminine. And there's there's so many parallels in the book between like Harry's hunger to win versus another male competitor's aggression. And yet she's the one that's called the bitch while the man is commended for his determination. Just things like that. But also it has some really great um, female friendships as well, which while they're not necessarily like a big focus of the book, I also really, really loved them. And the whole her self-development journey, oh my God. I just... There were so many parts of the book that I absolutely loved and the story was fantastic. I just absolutely recommend um, giving it a read. I Especially after having read Malibu, Malibu Rising, I think the way she's portrayed in that versus when you see her story is is really interesting and really well done. That's really interesting in itself because when I read Malibu Rising and I got to the end of it, there was a like um there was not an excerpt from the book but like a what's it like an advert essentially for Carrie Soto was back and I was like that's really interesting because she was one of those characters I was quite intrigued by because she isn't a main character in Malibu Rising but you know sometimes you think oh that could be that could be quite an interesting story there Mm -hmm. there seems like there's more to that than meets the eye Mm -hmm. yeah that I just I loved it I thought it was really really great I definitely recommend giving a read if you like any of her books which obviously you've heard us talk about all of her books so so much so hopefully you've read a couple maybe I hope so um shall we move on to this week's topics I feel like it's very appropriate if we're talking about the different ways men and women are perceived this really links nicely to that Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely we want to talk about money but the shame that surrounds money and earning money because particularly as a woman um there is definitely a huge double standard there between obviously not only just what men and women earn but also how women are perceived who want to earn more money who are ambitious who are successful and kind of how in spite of that we're still pushed out of the conversation and talking about money and earning money is still seen as shameful particularly for women Yeah, it's a really weird one because especially at the moment, money dominates the news and all most people are thinking about to some degree is money, whether it's not having enough, whether it's being grateful for having enough, whether it's wanting more, whether it's not being sure if you're spending or saving your money in the best way. I feel like at the moment now more than ever, it's such a focal point of every conversation and yet that shame still exists and unless we start being part of the conversation, that shame's never going to go. And when we were planning this, I was thinking like, why is there that shame? Like, how do you, what is that balance? And I guess there's a balance between privacy and shame. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with being private about your money or your wealth or your financial situation. I don't think we should be walking around having to tell everyone how much we earn and how we're spending our money and what our financial goals are. 
those details are inherently personal and you can keep those to yourself, like you have that right. But if that crosses the line to a point where you are being shamed or you are shaming others around money, I think that's where the problem is. Like if you don't, you don't have to share your inner financial details, but if someone else wants to share that they're buying a Hermes handbag on TikTok or whatever, yeah, it might be insensitive. Yeah, it might be irrelevant. But if we start shaming those people, then we're part of the problem. I I couldn't agree more. I think there's there's something in the like the privacy versus shame that links to like personal versus practical because I totally agree. Mm. You shouldn't have to share if you don't want to share what you earn. That's there's absolutely no issue with that. It is something that is personal to you. But I think if you are going to invoke or instill shame in someone, then you're attaching the emotional side to me. Yeah. And that's just that's just not okay. Like on a practical level, the discussion is really helpful. It can help inform people when they're negotiating pay. It can help people understand if they are being underpaid or it can help people become more financially educated to have those conversations. And that's where I think it functions on a practical level to have conversations about money. But yeah, if you're going to shame someone, then oh, I just don't really have time for that, to be honest, because that's not the way that we financially educate everyone. Also, shaming someone for buying something that you think is excessive does not suddenly give you more money. And also it's subjective. Like what's excessive for yeah. you is completely different to the next person. Completely. And it's none of it's none of our business how other people spend their money most of the time. I say most of the time, I do think there are obviously exceptions. Like when you hear of politicians and their expenses scandals or like having several houses or billionaires who don't pay tax, there are obviously different examples where it's within the public interest to be aware of these things. But for 98% of the time, in fact, I'm going to go 99% and say, unless you're part of that 1%, it's probably not relevant for us to know. It's none of my business how you spend your money. However, if you want to share information, that can be really powerful. I'm really grateful that I've got friends who have very openly spoken to me about like their mortgages and how they've saved to have like property renovations or like the reality of doing those sorts of things, because that has helped me to make a more informed decision. And I think it's really important to seek out impartial financial advice. But there is a difference between impartial financial advice because you're not being persuaded through marketing or like anything like that versus someone who is your age or in a similar situation to you giving you their experience and if we shame people for talking about money and having those conversations and we approach it with judgment then we also stand to lose a lot of information that's really helpful and beneficial for everyone Mm -hmm. because I think this is what we're talking about, not just the shame aspect and particularly for women, but that knowledge sharing is how we make conversations around money more accessible. And I, I totally appreciate that. I mean, we're kind of in an echo chamber because both of us, we've had those conversations. We've recommended banks to each other and savings accounts. And we chat about these kind of things, not just between the two of us, but with our, our friends as well. And it is so helpful to hear experiences from friends who have gone through something like you said that personal experience and knowledge sharing is invaluable and I think this is the whole point of having this conversation because a lot of people still do not have that because there is still this 
like perception or underlying privilege that talking about money is bad or wanting to earn more money is bad. Wanting money doesn't make you a bad person. I, I just, I think that's the thing that you hit a certain point and people don't want to talk about money because of how they will be perceived for it. Everyone needs money to live. What kind of lifestyle they're funding is totally different, but people still need money to live and having those conversations is part of that. I also think there's a really important thing here about, especially at the moment, knowing that if you're struggling financially, it could be entirely not your fault. If you are living beyond your means because you're going on holiday every week and you're buying designer clothes you can't afford and don't need and you're doing all of those sorts of things, then okay, yes, maybe your financial, like not being able to afford certain things is entirely your fault. But the majority of people right now just want to survive. They just want to be safe, feed themselves and their families. They're not lofty ambitions. Mm -hmm. They really aren't. Like They are honourable. And yet the narrative is we should just accept that we've got less money um it's probably like just spend less like oh you better cut down on your subscriptions i'm sorry but a netflix subscription is not the reason why people can't afford their fucking heating bills mm-hmm. it, that's just not how it is and i think when we shame people around those things we get into a position where people who really need help and support not just financial help and support but like the mental strain that goes along with those sorts of things and the health implications there's too much shame for them to feel like they can ask for help and that is I think a real disservice to other people in society. Like I said, we're not going around saying everyone should share exactly what they're spending and how much they're earning and all of those sorts of things, but we should definitely cultivate more of an environment where you can talk about money with your friends, just so you can talk about your mental health or your physical health or anything else. And I do, I really do believe that that like toxicity in how we speak about money, particularly in the media, like whoever that Tory was this week that said, we just need to accept that we're all poorer. Well, I mean, yes. you're probably not poorer, are you? You're probably doing very fine. But a lot of people, like he was saying that from such a sh- like a shaming position as someone who is probably not struggling financially, that it then makes mm. people exactly like you said, oh, that coffee that I, I buy at Costa as a treat. Oh, well, that's what's put me in my financial position. My Netflix subscription has put me in that position. And this is where the cycle of shame continues because people are being told by like a very small group that they should be ashamed of how they're spending because they can't con- they can't control their spending ha- habits or they can't save or whatever. Like you said, for 99% of people, it is out of their control right now. And if you're going to continue to yeah. shame people for something they can't control, then, I mean, this is going to end up in a whole political conversation that I don't particularly want to steer down, but... The, the cycle of shame is never going to end until we start having these conversations around money to remove it. I think as well, it's it feels like one of the final taboos. Mm. And I think our generation are far better at talking about it. I mentioned to, who was it? I can't remember who it was. It was an older relative, like Jen... Jen, hold on, like a boomer, basically. Mm. Um, and I said something, and they went, oh, God, do you know how much your friends earn? And your friends know how much you earn? I was like, yeah. Why? And they like, oh, God, you should never share that information. And I was like, but why? Because if you know how much I earn, 
you're not going to go, oh, that means I can take Charlotte's money. Or like, if anything, God forbid you were in like dire financial straits, you might feel more able to come to me and talk to me. And, you know, it's, I know that what I earn does not define me as a person, just like I know it doesn't define you as a person. And, but what it can do is help a conversation to go, oh, actually, that's not, uh, what I'm earning isn't actually fair. I'm being underpaid. And all of those really important conversations and normalizing, especially women, bartering and negotiating salaries. Mm-hmm. Like if you go for a job and you say, I want, I don't know, let's say we're going ballsy with him, want a hundred grand. It doesn't mean you actually want a hundred grand, but that's where you open negotiations. Whereas there's almost that thing of like women should be like, whatever you want to pay me, or like if you can't pay me at all, no worries. Well, yeah, if not, don't worry, it's, it's all it's fine. Yep, happy, no happy with that. <laughs> I'm happy with just like the honor of you even talking to me. Like, I don't need to eat, I'll just eat air. No. Okay, we need to have the conversations because financial security and what we earn is tied up in our self-worth regardless of whether or not we want that to be the case it is the case for so many people um and so we definitely need to have those conversations to know what the rest of the playing field looks like otherwise how can we level it and I definitely feel like as a like a straight cis white woman I have a real responsibility to share knowledge because otherwise how will other people know like how much of my salary is based on my privilege Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. like consciously or unconsciously like I'm not saying my car co- to be clear I'm not saying my company are paying me based on my privilege but I think without those conversations how can you help raise other people up if they don't even know what it looks like yeah and, and this is I mean obviously there's changes being made in the, the like the double standards and difference between men and like men and women's pay but there is still a gender pay gap in the same way that there is still the gap between what we earn as white women versus what someone would earn as a person of color. I think we don't realize how significant these gaps are. And yeah, part of that is, is still because as a woman, you're afraid to ask or afraid to negotiate or question or push for more because of how you might be perceived, because there is still this idea that money is tied into women's dignity and appearance of femininity, which says that ambition, success and power is not womanly. Well, I mean, again, how are we ever, how are we ever going to move past the cycle of shame if we're not going to have those conversations? Like most of us, unfortunately, are we're not, we were not financially educated at school. They do not give you a financial education at school. Anything that we have learned or picked up has been from maybe family, if we were lucky to be kind of taught uh, taught growing up or from friends and like we we're saying, people around us who have already gone through something. So then how can we help the next people and the next people, and the next people who are still not being paid fairly? It's by having those conversations. And how can we treat ourselves fairly as well? Like if we, even if we get rid of the whole like duty and responsibility to share information and raise others up, you're doing yourself a disservice by shaming yourself. Like, why shouldn't you want to seek out all the money in the world? Mm-hmm. Because even that, for most of us, will not get us anywhere near the likes of Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and all the rest of them. Like, they're not bad people because they have money. 
their your perception of whether or not they're a bad person is to do with a lot of other things it runs far deeper than the amount in the checking account you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it's very easy to associate having a lot of money with being bad or have it you should be ashamed because unfortunately a lot of people who do have a lot of money have got it through really I don't know ways that I would personally not want to acquire a lot of money through mm-hmm. but again, they're not the same thing and I think we too frequently associate having a lot of money with being a bad person or wanting bad things because they're the examples we've seen but there is so much more to it like you think of someone like I don't know, think of someone like Reese Witherspoon. She's exceptionally wealthy. But I don't think people think she's a bad person. Yeah. And actually, I would say a lot of what she's done is really positive. She's brought a lot of joy. She's really empowered a lot of authors, producers, filmmakers, like... Women. She's... Like, raising up women women with what she does, yeah. Exactly, women. Women of colour, like, marginalised groups. Like, she's done a lot of good stuff. You don't have to be a dick to be rich. Yeah, and I think this goes back to what I said at at the start, like wanting money, wanting to earn more money. You shouldn't be ashamed to say that you want to earn more money. Wanting money does not automatically make you a bad person. And I think if you know you you want to live a certain lifestyle, then yeah, why not? Ruin it. Like you want to earn a certain amount of money. You... This is why we need those conversations, because how are you going to know if you're being underpaid? How do you know what the standard is in your industry? And owning not just what you need to live, but what you would what you want to live, what you would like to yeah. earn to enjoy your lifestyle is does not make you a bad person. And I know that money doesn't buy happiness. Fundamentally, happiness is an inside job. But I do think the people who say money doesn't buy happiness and who spout that a lot are often people with money. Mm-hmm. Because if you can afford to be somewhere safe, to feed your family and yourself, to heat your home, to clothe them, to give them a decent, safe, loving life, then there's a lot of happiness from that. And that comes from money. Mm-hmm. And that isn't a bad thing. Like, I think if you ask anyone who has had no money and ask someone who has had I'm not talking billions, I'm just talking like a decent amount of money, a comfortable amount of money to live a comfortable lifestyle for them. They'll tell you when they were happier. Yeah. And yes, there will be exceptions to that rule, but my God, not having to worry about your money constantly definitely makes for a happier life. I was going to say, yeah, even on the most basic level, that if you are not, because if you are struggling right now, money worries are at the front of your mind every single day. Yeah. How you? How can you actually find like, like the struggle to find happiness when you are just constantly worrying about putting food on the table? Is and you don't feel like you talk to anyone about it because they'll judge you. Like, oh, money, like, money might not buy happiness, but I can tell you, it, pretty sure it will make everyone's lives easier if they had more of it. Yeah, it's exactly that. And one of the other things I think is really important. And that I'm really grateful I'm in friendships with like this is there are huge financial milestones in life that are really worthy of supporting, like paying off credit card debts or hitting a certain savings goal or being able to invest in something that's really important to you. They're important financial goals. And yes, it's great if I get a new job. But if I get a new job and I get a higher salary, that's also a great thing to celebrate because you're being rewarded fairly. 
if you're jealous of other people for that and that makes you feel uncomfortable, then sit with that. Work through it. Jealousy and money is something I've really had to work through over the past like five to six years. Mm-hmm. But it's great because when you're at the other side, you're like, yeah, it doesn't act. It's none of my bloody business whether they want to go and, you know, stay in a five star hotel in a cost of living crisis or they want to go and buy 10 pairs of trainers when there are kids in their community who can't afford any. Like, that's not my bloody business. And we often only see a completely tiny little snippet of someone's life and how they're spending their money. You don't know what else they're doing. And criticizing them for that does not give you more money. Mm-hmm. Shaming them for that only means that people who really need support feel less inclined to ask. Yeah. Like, yeah, I couldn't agree we more. Can't be policing. We can't keep policing how people spend their money. But what we can do is open up a conversation and help one another and support one another and not conflate the two. A woman going, I want, I want to feel financially secure. And a woman going, I actually don't care about anyone and I'm just going to spend my money on myself and I'm going to like evade taxes. They're two different things. And yet society would have you believe they're equal and that's not the case. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there is a lot to, a lot to be said, especially on social media and people who, who shame people online for just examining whether, whether it is, something that is coming from a jealousy perspective like will someone earning more or less help you financially in any way no probably not so yeah I think there is it's a hard like line to toe especially in terms of the cost of living crisis right now but I think this is why conversations are so important because they're where you will actually get more knowledge there is more of that knowledge sharing there is the opportunity to learn and get rid of that shame versus just criticizing people and how they spend money which ultimately doesn't change anything i really agree and for a start men don't get the same level of shame that women get when they spend money 100 percent. and that's a whole conversation for another day but ultimately like if you if you see someone spending money in a way that you don't like why is that your business yeah it might be really uncomfortable don't get me wrong i see so many like Things on TikTok, especially where it's like insert influencer's name controversy because that person's gone and bought like a 20 grand handbag or they've gone and stayed at a five star hotel in the Maldives or whatever it is. And people are like, oh, it's so out of touch. It's so gross. It's so excessive. I'm not denying that it might be really uncomfortable and kind of cringy to see to go, oh, God, you really you're not hitting the mood of the nation. Right. Mm -hmm. But on the flip side, it isn't their responsibility to do that. Yeah. The reason that we have obscene child poverty rates is not because that person has gone and bought a handbag and gone to the Maldives mm-hmm. yeah and it, it can make you cringe to the cows come home and make you feel frustrated and that there's so much inequality and unfairness in this world and that is true and that is unfair but just by saying they're a crappy human and shaming them for it that doesn't get us any closer to being in a better society I really don't think it does Mm-hmm. no I I totally agree and I think it's when you're criticizing that kind of spending it honestly is a drop in the ocean compared to I mean a whole other conversation again but compared to like the corporate tax evasion that huge multinational companies are conducting like the um the oh my god why can't I remember the word like the MP expense scandals like the um, the amount of oh, money 
being hidden offshore by certain companies or individual like this is this is where the bigger problem is not how did someone you, took a luxury trip abroad did you I don't I don't know how like accurate this is but someone I heard a conversation about this then if they claimed all of the tax this in one financial year that companies were like avoiding paying or evading paying I can't remember the difference there is a difference one's illegal one's not that you could fund like all of the support the NHS needs oh yeah so it doesn't surprise me like, in the slightest just because they're an easy target on social media or even in real life to sit there at the person who's coming into the office in their new shoes you can sit there and go mm-hmm and judge them they aren't the problem like the problem is that we're pitting ourselves against one another like that mm-hmm. like the problem is that particularly the patriarchy but society generally has made us think that someone's worth can be judged on what they own mm-hmm. and that's and the thing that's... it's a more visible thing so it feels easier to again place the blame and place the shame because it's someone close to you or someone that you follow online or someone you work with and that's ultimately not yeah again is not going to help educate people it's not going to make people feel more comfortable talking about finances or looking for financial support I completely agree I think so I've followed in the past couple of years I've started following more women who talk very openly about money people like Melissa's wardrobe Audrey Layton like they are both women who will very openly say they love a luxurious lifestyle and that's what they want and I would will link some other people below but I would really recommend doing that if you want to start removing some of the shame you have around money internally Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we hope that this conversation has been helpful um and i hope that it does encourage you to have more of these conversations as well and we'd love to hear your thoughts with all of the details which are down in the show notes hit subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode we'll be back on wednesday with a brand new one but in the meantime have a fantastic week Bye. bye